we're going to uh, get into part 12 of our sermon series um, in the book of Colossians. So turn to Colossians chapter 2 as you get kind of settled in there. Um, today's sermon is entitled Thanksgiving. And I thought, how appropriate, because we, we don't think about this word till about mid-October at the earliest. Maybe, a little, or maybe once fall kind of comes around, then you're reminded of Thanksgiving. But usually around November, we get reminded of Thanksgiving, you know, the, the turkey and the stuffing and the food and the family and the football and, and the sales and Black Friday and all that. And we, we, we generally, that's the time where we get most thankful because that's what the holiday is about, right? Giving thanks for what we've been blessed with. We are, even in the worst of circumstances, we are still pretty blessed people. Um, have read stories over this past week of, of churches and pastors and ministers who were uh, killed, had their churches burned down. I read of a story in China where a couple, a pastor and his wife, uh, their church was going to be bulldozed, so they stood in front of it. And they literally stood in front of it until the bulldozer went through the building. The husband escaped, but the wife didn't, so she passed away. She died as a martyr for the church that they were uh, pastoring there in China. Um, so we don't have that happening to us, and we need to lift up those Christians around the world in prayer who are suffering like that. Um, we have a lot to be thankful for, right? And it really is a disservice to wait till November to give thanks. I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing it then. You know, some folks will, you know, on Facebook, they'll put, you know, every day something they're thankful for. But thankfulness goes beyond a month out of the year or a season out of the year. It's, it's an everyday minute-by-minute thing in the life of a Christian. Thanksgiving is what we are called to. It's not just something we should do, but it's part of our calling. It means when we sign up to be Christians, we put our faith in Jesus, we believe in the sacrifice on the cross, that his blood has washed us and made us clean, that he's forgiven us of our sins, that we are brand new creations, born again of the Spirit. Part of that new life it's not just being like, oh, hey, thanks, Jesus, or like the, the, the artists at the Grammys who, you know, uh, I want to give this up for Jesus because I won this award or whatever. It's just a momentary type of thing. It's an everyday lifestyle that we are to live. On top of that, and we'll get into this in a moment, it's a weapon. See, as Christians, we're not, we're not just little sheep that just do nothing. We've been equipped to fight in the name of Jesus. You know, not for our own things, not for our own ideas or our own opinions. If you want to express your opinion um, it, it, on any topic, you're going to find resistance. And if you're willing to uh, sort of fall on your sword for that topic, then so be it. But don't be surprised when it happens. But we are called to fight in the name of Jesus for others. And one of the greatest weapons we have, along with living a lifestyle that reflects Jesus, living a lifestyle where we pray, living a lifestyle of worship through song and different, different uh, methods, we give thanks. Um, saw a movie last year, probably just a handful of you guys have seen it too. It was Avengers Age of Ultron. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But there's a scene where the Incredible Hulk is fighting Iron Man's creation, which is the Hulk Buster. See, Iron Man likes to make sure that he can keep tabs on everybody. So he built a machine to fight the Hulk because the Hulk's incredible. So you got to have something big. And he's trying to just beat the tar out of Hulk. And he's like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. He's like hitting him, trying to get Hulk to, to go back to his Bruce Banner self. Um, and it won't happen. It's not happening. Incredible Hulk is too strong. Okay, why did I bring that up? A, because Avengers are cool. B, because I'm a nerd. 
See, because when we are up against Satan, our real enemy, a real opposer, a real accuser, when he is coming against us, when we respond to God in thanksgiving, it's as though he cannot stop us because he cannot stop us. What can he do at that point when he is pummeling us and all we keep saying is, Lord, we thank you for the life you've given us. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for Jesus. What can he do to you at that point? What can he take from you? You can't take anything because you've placed all value, all of everything into Jesus and he can't remove that from you. Bible says that there's nothing that can remove you from the love of Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. So Thanksgiving is more than just making sure Jesus gets his props and make sure, you know, you say that first, so you're not taking stuff for granted. It's a, it's a lifestyle, it's a weapon, and it's who we are as people. Colossians 2 and verse 6. We actually went through this verse last week, and I was going to go further, but I felt the Lord just saying, you know, kind of, levitate, or not levitate, that's the wrong word, just kind of hover over this scripture for this week too. Um, Colossians 2 and 6 is, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. We talked about that last week. Verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I'm a, I'm a aspiring Bible nerd. That means I love to study the scriptures. I like things like Bible dictionaries and commentaries and things like that. And maybe you don't know what those are and that's okay. But every now and again, I'll bring to church something called a word study. We'll take a word from a passage and we will study that word in its original language, whether it be the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, maybe even the, the Latin, even though that's not a, an original translation of the word, we would still look at that and kind of try to pull a little bit more out of... Um, of what, the, what the, the writers of the Bible, the Holy Spirit-inspired writers of the Bible were trying to teach us. And so I looked up the abounding in Thanksgiving uh, passage. And here's the good news for those of you who are not ready this early in the morning to be academic. It literally just means abounding more than, more than enough, more than, uh, imagine a cup being poured into and just keeps overflowing. Abounding in giving thanks. No big no big uh, surprise ending, no big uh, metaphor to bring out of that. It just literally means giving more thanksgiving than is needed or that is required. And so often we are, you know, we give the thanks that we need to. Yes, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. And we kind of just stop there. And that's a good starting point. Don't get me wrong. If that's what you're doing, I'm not here to give you more uh, burden to, to make sure I'm thanking God enough. What we're trying to do and what we're, we're endeavoring to do is to get to a place where thanksgiving is what we do continuously. Now, this is really easy when good stuff happens, right? Christmas time, you get the presents. Oh, thank you. But then January and the bills come through and you're like, oh, I don't like this. Or you go to the doctor and the diagnosis is not what you wanted. Or you're, you're, maybe you're dieting and, and you're just not losing the weight. Or maybe you're trying to kick an addiction and it keeps getting the best of you. We are called in those moments, and this is where Thanksgiving becomes a weapon, where we begin to give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done. You might say, Pastor Tony, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my life. And that's true. That's true. And, and as your pastor, I, I love that you've come alongside the church and myself to kind of follow Jesus as we come alongside him. But knowing the entire details of your life is not necessarily 
something that we have to do. I mean, you're willing, you're, whatever you're willing to share, you're willing to share. But the good news is, is that God already knows. God has already seen. And God has made a way for whatever you're going through. And through the cross, Jesus, the perfect lamb sacrificed for all of creation, he has already done everything needed to be thankful for. If God should do nothing for you for the rest of your life, this is, this is the, God just cuts you off, and from here on out, it's just you and, and, and whatever happens, happens. He has given you Jesus, and that's more than enough. That's more than we need to be thankful. The Bible says that we were once dead in our trespasses. That means the sins that we committed, we were dead in them. They, they made us dead. But faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit awakens us. We give our life to Jesus. We are born again. Brand new creations. A lot of Christians walk around as the same old creation rather than in the newness of the life that, that God has died to give them. Jesus said in the Gospel of John that he came to give life and life more abundantly. And some people have twisted that into riches and, and prosperity and that type of thing, but that's not what Jesus was prescribing there. What he was telling us is that we as Christians are going to live a life unlike anybody else. We're going to experience joy unlike the rest of the world. We're going to experience pain unlike the rest of the world. Why? Because when others mourn, we're going to mourn with them. See, right now, when other, for non-Christians, you know, there might be sympathy, there might be empathy, but there won't be that connection through the Spirit to mourn as they mourn. And, and there's a willingness. You know, as a Christian, there's a willingness to say, you know, you're sad, you're mourning this. I'm sad for you too. I'm mourning with you too. I hate that you lost your job. I hate that they told you it was cancer. I hate that your kids are rebellious. I, I, this, this is the worst, and I'm, I'm crying with you. Some of you cry real easy, and God bless you, because that's not me. And, and sometimes I feel like I'm lacking when I see other people just cry, you know? Somebody gives a testimony, and people are weeping, and I'm like, I'm not crying. Should I be crying? I don't know what to do. Um, but thank you for those who do, authentically and out of sincerity, weep and mourn for those who are weeping and mourning as well. See, the abundant life Christ has given us is not, is, is unable to be found anywhere else. You can't go to any other religion. You can't go to any other organization. You can't go to any other country or city or place. You can't go to another relationship or you can't, you know, have enough kids or have enough money to have the life that Christ has died to purchase for you. It can only be found through faith in Jesus. Now, with that being said, we talked last week about walking in Christ. And that is a, uh, in a sense, it's kind of a vague term. You know, if you've ever had somebody, you share your problems with them and they're like, hey, we'll just walk in Christ. Or, you know, hey, just pray it out. Or some, some cliche or something like that. You know, it comes off as ingenuous. It's like, you've probably said that to 15 people. And, 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 and even if I did do that, like, what do I do practically? Like, walk in Christ. Let me share with you a couple of verses to kind of help illuminate that for you. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. One of the things you have to do is literally believe that you have been born again. This is not just um, something that the Bible tells us to make us feel good. This is not just something that is said so that um, we can carry on throughout the day. This is the literal truth. You've been changed. You're not the same person you were before you met Jesus. Now, you might not be that far past that, but you're not that person anymore. 
and now you, now you see your addictions differently, and now you see uh, your family differently, and you see your job differently, and you see just life in general through a brand new lens. You start to see your enemy as somebody who could come to know Jesus. Before, you're like, I just wish they were dead. And now you're like, oh man, they're dead. I wish they were alive. As much as they are hurting me and paining me, I want them to know the risen Savior because I know that's the only thing that will change them for the good. You are a brand new creation and, and, and Christ is continuously doing things to cause us to believe that. But at the end of the day, we have this verse that we simply must believe and have faith in. I don't feel brand new. You know, this Monday, tomorrow, I'm not going to feel brand new. You know, Monday is one of the hardest days for a preacher or a pastor. I go home after this and I wonder, was it a good message? Did I do what Jesus wanted me to do? Does anybody even care? And it kind of carries on to Monday until I get ready for the next verse. I have to realize, oh, you know what? I can't be caught up in that. I have to deliver the message. That's my job. The reception isn't really under my control. That's under the, that's the Holy Spirit's job. But Mondays for you, some of you are going back to work. Some of you are, you know, got to get the kids ready for school in the morning. I mean, it's just, it's the new week. You're not going to feel brand new, but you are brand new. You are born again of the Spirit. You have inside of you the power of God that rose Christ from the dead. That you have, and it's exclusive, not just to you, but exclusive to the church and to Christians. The rest of the world doesn't have that power. Whatever power they're using, it's their own, and it will run out. But our well, if you will, our well of power is continuous and infinite. It just keeps going. And the well that we have is, is for ministering to others. I mean, Christ will provide you strength for your job and for your relationships, and that's all good. But the main purpose of filling us with the Holy Spirit is that we might go and tell of the good works of Jesus Christ. That we would tell that, that though we are sinners, Christ died for us. Um, the message that we have, that we share, is always going to be the resurrection of Jesus, the conquering of sin and death, that through faith in Him, we can be born again. And so, you know, we could, I bring sermons with like, you know, five points and, and, and lots of pastors do that, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not throwing that under the bus. But the message has to be about Jesus. If we're just cleaned up Christ, or excuse me, we're just cleaned up sinners without faith in Christ, all these sermons and messages and Bible studies will just be worthless at the end of time. So what we want to do is keep reminding folks, keep telling people about Jesus, especially in a setting like this where folks come in expecting to hear about Jesus. And so must you believe in Jesus to be saved? Yes, absolutely. There is no question. There is no alternate method. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father except through me. Like literally through him. When Jesus died, the, the, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, the place where nobody could go but the high priest one time a year to make atonement for sin, that was ripped in two, completely destroyed so that anyone might enter. That means we have access. I mentioned that when we first started. We have this, this invitation to be bold enough to come into the presence of God, to, to, to kneel before him and say, Lord, these are my problems. These are my issues. And thanksgiving, Lord, this is what you've done. Lord, you've done this. You are amazing. How could you have anticipated that? And we know, you know, you're God. You see all things. So I get that. But man, it's still amazing. You know, for me, one of the things I'm thankful for is South Bay Chapel. You know, I, many of you I know now, I didn't know you five years ago. 
I didn't even know I would know you five years ago. But here we are five years later, and, and I've, I've gotten to know a lot of you. And it's amazing. And God, how did, you, how did you weave this all together? How did you knit us together like that? And how did you make me friends with somebody who's seemingly the, the opposite of me? We don't share the same interests, but man, they're my brother or my sister in Christ. And now I just want the best for them. Now when, when something happens to them, I'm worried about them or I, or I begin to pray for them because, man, I want them to, to get through this episode or this time of their life. We have to believe that we are brand new creations because that's what we are. Now you are that whether you believe it or not. It's not as though God is in the background going, man, I wish they would just believe. No, that's what you are. Jesus died on the cross for that, for you. But if you do not believe that, your life will be altered because of it. Well, I'm still the same old person. I'm still doing the same old things. And you fall back into this worldly mindset. And so believing this truth is invigorating. It's, it's, it's enlightening. It's, it's, it's needed as a weapon against Satan who will come and accuse you of being the same old person. You're not different. You haven't changed. Look at you. Look at what you're doing. Jesus doesn't love you. You're going to need verses like these as a weapon to be thankful for what Christ has done. Verse number two, Romans six and four says, we were buried therefore with him in, uh, him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness of life. We're going to have a if, it ever, uh, if there's ever sun again, we ever actually feel warmth in this area of the world again, we're going to have baptisms this summer. We've already got uh, at least one person who wants to get baptized. So I'm throwing that out there for anybody else who wants to get baptized. But Paul uses that metaphor of baptism to say, look, we, just like when, when you're baptized, that is a, an expression of what's actually happened. You've died to your old self and you've been made alive again, brand new in the newness of Christ. Again, you may not believe that, but that is the truth. And it may not always feel like that. It's still the truth whether you feel it or not. We have to be careful of using experience to trump the word of God. Every, I don't say every, but a majority of bad doctrines, bad theologies that I find usually start with an experience that overrides what the scripture says. And so when you have that happen, you have to go back to the scriptures and say, though I may have experienced something very charismatic, it may have felt genuine, but if it contradicts the word of God, you have to go back and say, but the word of God says this, I choose this even the, over my experience and my feelings and what I might even think is right. Most people who are trying to change the Bible today are doing just that. Well, I feel this way, so it must be true. And the word of God comes second. Well, you find those people in folly. You find them hurting. You find them never living a crucified life. And as a result, you find them not living as Christians. You find them just as people uh, with their own autonomy, their own, uh, they are their own island. They make up the rules for themselves. And as Christians, we've kind of crucified that. You know, we've been given this great liberty and we use that liberty to give our life back to Jesus. It's like we've been set free. You've been set free. And you're like, but you freed me. I'm going to stay with you, Jesus. Though I was in bondage to sin, Satan, and death, you freed me from that. And now I just want to be a bondservant, a willing slave to you. That's how Paul and Peter and John, they introduce themselves as they write letters to the church. I'm a willing slave to Jesus. He calls the shots. He's, he's not a slave master that, you know, whips and, and, and just 
just the other side of Satan. He's a good leader. He's a good savior who loves me and sets me free. Verse 3 is John 3 and 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Um, in context, Jesus is meeting with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And, and, and I don't know if, you, if you've read the Gospels, but Jesus and the Pharisees don't really get along. And this Pharisee, though, the Holy Spirit's opening his eyes, opening his ears, opening his heart. He wants... He wants to know more about this Jesus, but he's not going to risk his, his reputation by doing it in the daytime out in public. He's going to meet Jesus at night. I love that Jesus still meets him at night. I love that Jesus didn't say, hey, come to me during business hours. You know, come to me and, sh and show yourself in front of everybody if you really believe in me. Nicodemus wants to meet him at night. Jesus meets him at night. Jesus wants to win Nicodemus more than anything else. He wants, to, he wants Nicodemus to walk in this newness of life more than, you know, making some big faith stand, you know, you know, doing it out in the daylight in front of all of his friends and the Pharisees, because that's gonna come eventually. Getting Nicodemus's heart is what Jesus is doing. And Jesus goes right, right for the jugular. You gotta be born again. See, none of us here will stand before Christ and say, we did this, we did that, we did this, and we gave this much, and, and so let us in. It'll be all about what you believed about Jesus. Was he your savior? Did he forgive you uh, of, of your sins? Did you put your faith in all of that? Or was your faith in your job or your status? Or was your faith in all your works that you could do? That's not being born again. The world does good works all the time. You know, you see people give billions of dollars and serve uh, hour after hour and, and, and Christianity, Christians who are filled with the Spirit, it's got to go beyond that. This is why the loving your enemy aspect of Christianity is so uh, amazing. You know, who does that? Who loves their enemy? You look at Stephen being stoned to death because he's testifying to Jesus and he's asking for forgiveness for the people who are throwing these rocks at him to kill him. That's what it looks like when a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, who's been forgiven by Jesus and is walking in Christ. At the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making thi all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Um, I don't know how time works from God's perspective. I've heard a lot of analogies and things. But here's what I know. He's not bound by time like we are. Like we started off this morning in bed and then we got up and then we, that was all in the past. And then later we might go to lunch. Who knows what's going to happen? And then we're right here in this moment, but somehow God's outside of that limitation. And so I, I speculate and wonder if for him, all of history is all one moment. Creation and whatever was before creation and, and the crucifixion and, and the book of Revelation and, and all of that happening. He sees it all in one moment in the way that we just simply can't. Like I said, that's speculation. That's my own wonder. But I mention that because Jesus says from the throne, I am making all things new. It's not just I have made things new or I think that's a good idea. I am continuously working, making all things new. You read the book of Revelation, there's the new heavens and the new earth and, and, and the closing of the gates and the, those that are outside with the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and, and the judgment of the uh, the great white throne judgment and all of that, all these, these great pictures of, of the final day where we'll stand before God and give our testimony. 
And our testimony will simply be, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus, Jesus is everything. Jesus died for me. I don't even know if we can get the words out at that point. God will know our heart and hopefully go from there. All of this, outside of anything you've been given, is something to be thankful for. It's enough to fuel that thanksgiving in your life. On top of that, you can add your spouse, your kids, your job, your wealth, your stuff. I mean, experiences. You can put all those in there too, and those are good things to be thankful for. But man, what Jesus has done for us, this is a weapon that we use against sin, against the flesh, and against what the world comes at us with, against what Satan will try to lie to us about. But the Bible doesn't say, and, and, and Paul doesn't say to the Colossians, just, just be thankful. He says that we're being called to a life that is abounding in thanksgiving. More than, than is needed, more than is necessary. Over and above. Here's what thanksgiving does for the life of Christians. Number one, it replaces foolishness. Ephesians 5 and 4 says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You know, one of the things that the church has kind of accepted, and we're all, I'm guilty of this, everybody's guilty of this, is allowing this verse to be ignored. You know, there are people who go to great lengths to prove, no, if you're a Christian, you can swear all day long. If you're, you know, swear like a sailor and be a Christian and tell those dirty off-color jokes, it's okay, it's all in good fun. And Paul says, no, put that away. That was how you were. That's not who you are anymore. Remember, you're a brand new creation. Yeah, maybe that was funny back then, but it's not so funny anymore. Because now you're being moved into this new life. Now you are different. But rather than saying, hey, just don't do that, Paul says you replace that foolishness with thanksgiving. So when someone tempts you and says, hey, you know, let me tell you this joke, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't hear that. Or, you know, it just some, something that falls underneath this umbrella of filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, you replace that with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you so much. Not this prayer. Thank you so much I'm not that person. That's what the guy in the, in the temple was accused of doing when, when the guy came and beat his chest in the Gospels. Jesus used it as a parable. You know, he was like, I'm not like this sinner back here. No, we just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm so thankful that I no longer see that as beneficial to my life. I, I see that now as exactly what you call it. Filthiness, crude talking, etc. Number two, it's an, it's an element of prayer. It's not all of your prayer, but it's an element of prayer. First Timothy 2 and 1 says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be, ma- thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. If, if you are having a hard time with this election, that we're having, and and I'll I'll just go right out there and say it, I don't find a candidate worthy of being the president of the United States. I don't. Um, This scripture should convict us, though. We do this thing called Super Tuesdays, where every Tuesday until the election, we pray for those who are running for office. Not just president and vice president, but our local officials and that sort of thing. It's also to pray against joining in the rhetoric of the rest of the world, sharing things on Facebook and making these, these elaborate uh, accusations that are unfounded and just, just joining in the people who are just shouting really loud, hoping to be louder than them. 
we've decided to step back and go, you know what? Christ has not called us to that. Christ has called us to pray for everybody who's in authority, who's in a high position. This could include your boss. I don't like my boss. My boss is a jerk. Well, you know, you're not going to do much about that without praying for them. They're in a position over you. You need to pray for them. They have their own worries and their own things. And yeah, maybe they are jerks. But you're not going to get anywhere being jerks back to them. So Paul tells Timothy, you know, pray for those people in high positions. Even kings. Even people who would eventually take Paul's life. Pray for them. Take Peter's life. Pray for them. Christians being martyred all around the world, one of the things they keep doing is, is, is praying for their enemies, praying for those who oppress them. Because how else are things going to change? Mil- military might. Praise God we have a great military, and I, and I super respect that, but that type of fighting only gets us so far, right? We really want to see change, then we've got to begin to pray. And this is the life that God has called us to. Number three, it's a weapon against anxiety. Now let me preface this because a lot of people in our day and age have a lot of anxiety, clinical anxiety, taking meds for anxiety. And for those of us who don't, one of the things we do as Christians that is not very edifying or building up of our brothers and sisters in Christ is we just throw out a verse and say, see, make everything different. See this verse, just be different now. It's like somebody without a limb and and you're telling them, well, just have a leg now. Like, well, I don't have a leg. It doesn't help unless you do it the right way. Philippians 4 and 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First, you make requests and supplications known to God for that person who's going through anxiety. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're cool as a cucumber and you never really get stressed out. But there are people out there that sharp noises and loud screaming and and big booms and, you know, uh, traffic things where you almost get hit. I mean, that just sends them into this spiral. It's like, or past experiences or past sin just makes them just crazy. And what is our job on the outside of that is to first pray for them. And then remind them of these promises God has made to us. That we can take these anxieties, that we can give them to the Lord. That we can take these anxieties and in the same way a fisherman cast a lure far away from himself, we can throw our anxieties, just like cast our cares upon the Lord. We can just throw it at him. He'll take them for us. And be there before the anxiety and during the anxiety and after the anxiety. And if you experience that, I want to encourage you that those things are indeed, indeed things you can take to the Lord. And in the moment, it might be hard to do that. But eventually, you can come to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, your word is true, and begin to fight back through thanksgiving. These anxieties, the casting of them, the giving them up, it's furthered by being thankful. Lord, I am thankful for my salvation. I am thankful that you were willing to endure what you did on my behalf, that though I was a sinner, you died for me and that you rose and conquered death. And, and this is the worst I'll ever feel. I'll go to a place one day where there will no longer be anxieties or even the threat of anxiety. And you can begin there, and you can start with baby steps, and you can, you can call on other Christians to help you in that. 
it communicates love. Thanksgiving communicates love. First Thessalonians 3 and 9 says, for what, thanksgiving, uh, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul is talking to the, Thessalonica, uh, the church in Thessalonica. He's saying, man, we're just so thankful for you. We just, I just love you. What can I say to express the love I have for you as a church? your desire for Jesus. You're not perfect, but man, you just want to know Christ. And you keep sharing with people and you keep proclaiming his name and you keep calling on him and and you yourselves are thankful. Paul says, what can I say? You guys are just, I'm just so thankful for you. And in that, he's expressing his love to his his people. You know, if you've ever given a gift um, as a child, like when you were a kid and you gave a gift to your mom or dad, and, and you're just like, man, I, I either I saved up or got this somehow, and I'm going to give it to my dad. You know, for the moms and dads, we could get that stuff whenever we want, right? E- e- even if we just got a few bucks, we could probably handle getting that. But when your child brings it to you, it means the world to you. It could be a scrap of paper with a little drawing on it. I have my office. It's actually a closet that's like four by six. It's tiny. And it's got a, it's got a angled uh, roof. So it's even, you know, there's not a lot of headroom. But it's my little office. The, all of the walls are covered with every scrap of paper that I could salvage of my kids, stuff that they've drawn and said and done it here at church. Because it means so much to me. You know, it's just a piece of paper with a little drawing. But man, that was their heart. That was, the, they, they were thinking of me and drew that picture and wanted to give it to me to impress me, to show me, to just show love. And when I got that, oh, it's love. Yes, this is amazing. And I have a whole file like this big of stuff that doesn't even fit on my walls, but I just keep saving it because it's love. It, it's, it's expressing, and, I just, and then I want to show it back to them. Oh, thank you for giving this to me. What can I say? You're just great. I, I love you, and this just expounds that love. My love for you just keeps growing. This is the same type of verbiage Paul is using about the church. When I go to places outside of South Bay Chapel, I always share how great you guys are. I mean, we're not perfect. I mean, come on, we're, we're just not perfect. We get into little squabbles and, and all kinds of stuff, and we have potlucks, and we won't make the right food or something. Or we don't do, there's always something to bicker about if we want to do that. But man, I just love you guys. I love being able to pastor this place, to pastor with guys like uh, Ben and Mike and Justin and Kristen and, and anybody else who puts their hand to the plow and helps out and does stuff. I'm just so thankful for South Bay Chapel. We're not the biggest church and we don't have the fanciest church. And you know, we're still just broken people trying to do something good in the name of Christ. But man, I wouldn't be anywhere else. I am so thankful. I understand what Paul is saying when he says, how could I even express my thankfulness? What can I say in this moment? I don't even know what to say. Just so happy, just so happy to be here. So all of this comes back to, okay, we've got the idea, we're called to be thankful, and we know what to be thankful for. I mean, just some self-examination real quick. We, we, we know that Jesus died for us. He rose, he conquered the grave. We are brand new creations. We're not like we were. I mean, that's enough to fuel our thanksgiving. It's a weapon against the enemy, I mean, when you're really feeling like you're being beat down, you pull that out like a sword and just start, just start wailing on the enemy. Lord, I am thankful for the breath in my lungs. I'm thankful for my heart beating. I'm thankful for my kids, and they have a beating heart, and they have breath. And I am thankful that, you know, uh, 
I'm not a Yankees fan. And I'm thankful that, that they lost. And I'm thankful that, uh, you know, I, I, I have food on my table and gas in my car. And I'm thankful I have a car. And you start doing that. And it's like you're going nuts on the enemy and the power of Jesus. And you're overcoming and you're overcoming and you're overcoming. Worship and song, that's one of the reasons why we do it. We're doing the same exact thing. You know, you're driving down the road and some kind of sinful thought pops into your head, some type of temptation, and man, you just crank up the radio, some worship song that, that, that just touches your heart, and you just start singing, and you're like, I don't even care. I'm going to praise the Lord. This is what I was made for. This is what I was built for. I'm not going to give time to that sin. I'm not going to give time to that moment. I'm not going to give in to that temptation. You know, the temptation is not the sin, it's responding. So you can be like, oh, maybe I could do this, and it'd feel good. Or you could fight back and say, no, this is what I'm going to do instead. And you may not do that every time, but I guarantee you, the more that you do it, the more it will become your nature. You ever watch these guys that train like UFC fighters and ninjas? I mean, literally, ninjas, football players, any kind of combative type of sport? They're in there and, and they're practicing all day long what they would be doing in the moment when they have to actually battle. So a quarterback might drop back a certain pass 50 times. Same exact pass because when it matters, they're going to call on that to do that. You know, a UFC fighter moves and special techniques. They're going to practice those over and over. You ever see a boxer with that, the, the bag thing where they start doing this? That's as fast as I can go. But you see him, it's like... Like, why? Why are they doing that? Because when they get in the ring with another guy who wants to knock their head off, they're going to need the speed to punch, the endurance to punch in that moment. It might only need one punch in that moment, but they're going to do that one punch 5,000 times. So, yeah, 10 times you give in to the temptation to sin. But that 11th time you decide, you know what? I'm going to worship. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to call out to God in this moment. And you're victorious in that one time. Then maybe just the next nine times. And then you're thankful. And then it's the seventh time. And eventually, the victories outnumber the failures. And your lifestyle becomes one that is sanctified rather than just broken. So the question comes back to, have we received Christ? I give uh, an altar call every week, not because we all need to be saved again. But because we all need to be reminded of the salvation that God has given us. And for some of us, we've received Christ externally, but we haven't received him internally. We haven't, we haven't been changed by him. We still see life. We still see sin as just a consequence of life. We don't see it as something that needs to be changed. And so we need the Holy Spirit to come in through salvation to, to, to begin to convict us of those things. I know what is wrong based on the word and I know what's wrong based on conviction. Those things that I shouldn't do when the Lord says, hey, don't be doing that. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. It's wrong. I know if I do this now, I'm trespassing. I'm going past where I should be. And I'm gonna be like the sheep caught in the thicket if I keep going any further. So the question is, have we received Christ? And I know it's really easy to go, well, they haven't. And that person has received Christ. Have you seen that guy? Have you seen that girl? See what she's wearing? She's not saved. No. We start with us. We start with the plank in our own eye. Where, where am I? What, have, what do I need to do? What is, where, am I, where am I foolishly blocking Christ out of my life? 
Now I've given him so much ground, but I won't let him go any further. Where is that line drawn? Only you know that, and the Holy Spirit knows it as well. So I want to pray for you. I want you to stand. Again, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if, any of, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Maybe you haven't felt new, but here's what I'm telling you today. You are new. You are a different person because of Jesus. He hasn't just cleaned you up and made you look more presentable. He has changed you from the inside out. And he is still making you brand new. And tomorrow will be a whole new battle, but today our battle is to give our life to Jesus. So let's pray together. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for ourselves. Jesus, we praise you. And Lord, we come to you in thanksgiving. We are thankful for what you have done for millions, if not maybe even billions of Christians over time. That you have walked the hill of Calvary, that you were nailed to the cross, beaten and broken, that you gave your life willingly for your flock, that you died for the sins of the world, though you were sinless, that after three days you rose, you conquered death, that you met the apostles, you met the followers, you showed yourself to some 500 or so people, you ascended to heaven and sent your Holy Spirit to fill us. I pray, Lord, that as we put our faith in you again, as we put our faith in uh, what Christ has done for us, that you would give us those moments to see the opportunity, not just to be thankful, but to use thankfulness as a weapon when we are beaten down by the enemy, when he goes about like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. May we have thankfulness on our lips. May, may our life abound with it. May it be an expression of what we do because of what we believe in our heart. May we act upon the newness that you have bestowed upon us and live a life worthy of that rather than in the place that we once were. In all of this, Lord, we need you. We will not accomplish this on our own, of our own power. We simply come to you with this knowledge and ask that you would lead us from here on out. And Lord, some of us have been Christians for years. Some of us have been Christians for decades. I'm asking that you would do the same thing for each person where they're at. That you would show, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them louder than my words could. Penetrate a part of their heart that I don't have access to. That you would bring change from the inside out as you have for centuries. Help us as Christians to go out in that newness and to proclaim the gospel. To share this good news with people that we meet that we would use tact and candor and be able to express Jesus organically and authentically in a way that is not forced down somebody's throat, but in a way that just expresses to them, hey, you know, here's what Jesus did for me. Here's why I gave my life to Jesus. Here's where I was. Here's where I'm at. And here's where I'm going to go. And here's how Jesus played a part in every single part of that. Above all, Lord, we're just sheep following, your, following you as our shepherd correct us and rebuke us and change us and lift us up and just help us, Lord. We love you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we love you. The, church, the, the pastors here, we love you. We love everything about you. We want you to know Jesus in a way that is beyond just me telling you about him, but you experience him. We want to be a church that is going out 
and, and winning back our community. You know, I, uh, you guys can sit down. I'm going to talk for just another minute. Went to um, uh, look at a house on the other side of the lake. And we looked at a few different houses. And I noticed how um, prevalent idol worship is in this area. Like, not just like, oh, people really like their boats type of idol worship. I mean, that's there too. But I'm talking about figurines and little statues and big things in, in, their, in their yard and candles. And what I understood was that this area is deeply caught up in idol worship. And so our goal as a church, or our mission, if you will, is to go out and not destroy the idols. You know, we're not going to go into people's houses and break down the door and smash their idols. I find that when you do that, they build bigger idols. Whether that's bashing their boat or bashing their, you know, Francis de Assisi statue. What we're going to show them is the true God. We're going to let Jesus himself destroy the idols. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that just by sharing our life with other people. Inviting them in. Being vulnerable, you know. That's not a fun place to be, but it's the only place to be where people see what it's like to actually follow Christ. We're going to start within the church by just hanging out with one another. I keep, I, I've been slow, you know, every so often I get a report, oh, I hung out with this person inside the church. It was outside of a church function. That's really cool. That's how you get to know people. Not by, you know, we can have our forced things like uh, men's breakfast, which I love, but it's kind of like when your mom hooked up with another mom and let's make our kids play together. You know, like, oh, you know, I got to be best friends with this guy now. Now, a lot of you are great people, but when we, when I don't want to force you guys into a relationship. And so a lot of that's going to happen outside of those moments. Hey, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. Hey, do you want to go get dinner? Hey, do you want to come to my house for dinner? Hey, you know, you got kids. Let's go to this place or that place. Or, you know, hey, this person needs help. You want to come with me and help them? It's going to start with you being led by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, and guided by the Holy Spirit to do these things. And so that's, part of what we're trying to do here, if you're, if you're kind of unaware of what we're trying to do, that's the, the long and short of it. Now, how it all kind of plays out is going to go, you know, like a case-by-case case type thing. You know, we don't have a big binder, you know, uh, if you, the person before you is a man, turn to page three. Okay. He is, you know, 45 years old. Per, turn to page five. Like, we don't do it like that. We just go up to people, meet them, say hi, try to love them, try to show them things that, that the rest of the world wouldn't normally show them. And so we want to live a life that's different. We want to live our life in the open. We want to be changed by Jesus so that others might be changed by Jesus. And so pray about these things. Take these things into consideration. This is part of what I believe Jesus was talking about when he said, count the cost of following or, or, or picking up your own cross. Like, consider the cost. Consider the cost of the person who shared Jesus with you. What it cost them to to share the gospel with you that moment, that time where you, the light went off and you're like, oh, I get it. The Holy Spirit awakened you. Look for opportunity. Pray for opportunity. Pray for the rest of the church in that. You know, and then maybe, you know, some of the, we're kicking around some ideas for the fall and then maybe we'll, we'll move on into something else. But for now, with, with, with well, spring's non-existent, but maybe summertime will start soon enough. You know, going out and going to barbecues and going to the, the park and just doing stuff will help people know Jesus. How great will it be? Now, I don't know if this is how Jesus does things. This is speculation. Take it with a grain of salt. But how great would it be to go before the throne of God 
and see the lives that you influenced to know Jesus. Now, obviously, it will be Jesus doing the work, but he will use you in that moment. I, I wonder, I always, I don't know who this man is, but I assume somebody shared the gospel with Billy Graham at some point. And as a result of Billy Graham's ministry, like billions of people have given their life to the Lord. That moment that man shared with Billy Graham, the gospel meant salvation for a multitude of people. You know, I think about men like Nehemiah who went back to Jerusalem. One man went back to Jerusalem, rebuilt the walls, and we see sort of what happens as a result of that. We see that it goes beyond his years and beyond his power. Something great is built from that. We see a worship service with Ezra the priest, and they're all outside, and there's a big thing built up so that, so that Ezra can preach because there's no amplification. And multitudes of people are just out in the sun, bowing down, just worshiping and coming back to God. Wouldn't it be great not to see our church filled, because if you see our occup occupation thing over there, we can only put 100 people in the sanctuary, according to Canister of Coats. But wouldn't it be great for every church to be full on Sunday? That every pastor would be preaching to a full house every Sunday, not because it's fun to preach a full house, but because people are eager and hungry for the word. Well, we can start that now, or we can just wait till that happens. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. Amen? I'm going to keep sharing Jesus with anybody that I can. And I'm going to do it in a way that is where they're at. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm just so broken and hurt. Well, you're a sinner! Oh, that's not going to help. <laughs> we'll get to that part eventually. Let's start with how Jesus loves you so much. Let's start with how Jesus wants to heal you of that brokenness. Well, and then we'll talk about how that brokenness is probably the result of sin or someone sinning against you. And then we'll move into that part. But that's what we're doing. And I hope that you guys are willing to kind of do that too. Let's say one more prayer and then we'll go home. Jesus, the vision and the mission for our church is, is simple. I don't think it's any different than what you've given the church over the centuries. We just want to go and proclaim the gospel and watch people give their lives to you. We want to make disciples and, and share life with folks and, and, and see your kingdom grow. Not, not necessarily just the church grow, although we're, we're cool with that, we're, but we want to see the kingdom grow. We don't want people to just come in and be Christians nominally or by name only. We want them to come and give their hearts to you, to, to be here whenever the doors are open because they want to learn more, to actively, you know, study their Bible and, and to pray for others and, and to drop everything just to, just to help somebody who's, who's struggling with uh, their walk in you. And Lord, that, that calls us to a lot of sacrifice, but your word says that's a light yoke. This, this is not a burden you've given us, it's a job you've given us. And that you're the one that's yoked with us, leading and doing all the heavy work, but we get to be a part of what you're doing. So we are thankful today for that job and responsibility and help us to do it in a way that is worthy of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.